Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and it is my honor tonight to have writer, director, special effect, and makeup artist, Damien Leon. Damien, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is our pleasure, and we have lots to talk about. First of all, before we get started, man, I got to tell you, uh, if I was to open up your mind and take a look at the person who created Art the Clown, I think it would absolutely scare the shit out of me. You would think so. You would think so. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, honestly, I'm pretty much the complete opposite when you get to know me. I'm very laid back. I listen to very soft, mellow music. I mean, my favorite band of all time is Fleetwood Mac. So that should wow. tell you everything. Yeah, so I, I like the I need the checks and balances. So most of my life is pretty laid back, and then when we dig into Terrifier, that's when like the gloves come off, and I explore that side of my myself. But you know, that's just the fantasy aspect of. Oh, life. I know, and it's the perfect outlet, and you give yeah. us as fans a great uh, piece of art and movies to watch. So let's yeah. go through the timeline here, because Art the Clown is not just a one off movie shoot okay it started out in 2011 when you did a terrifier short and then in 2003 you did the great all hallows eve mm -hmm. and then the movie came out terrifier and in 2016 so walk us back to when did the idea of art come to your mind it actually goes back further i had made a short film before terrifier called The Ninth Circle. And that was the first time Art the Clown was ever introduced. And that was my first professional, I call it, short film. That's when I, you know, I had just sort of gotten out of high school. I, I was like, oh, I guess I got to go to film school. So I took one film, uh, film class at New School University. It was yeah. like an introductory aesthetics of directing class. It didn't really teach me anything. It was just the basics. And uh, at the time, I was quite immature, and I really wasn't appreciating what was being taught. I mean, it was sort of out of my wheelhouse. It was all foreign films and older movies that it wasn't the reason why I got into filmmaking. So I stopped going and I was like, let me just make a short film. That's what, that's yeah. what everybody says you got to do. So I just wanted to make a calling card and I was already doing the special effects. So I said, I'll pack this out with special effects, creatures, um, just get it really interesting so it could grab people's interest right away and I could just showcase whatever talents I may have. Um, and I always had this idea of a clown for whatever reason, always thought clowns had the potential to be really horrifying. Oh, yeah. I thought there was something a little different. I could put my own little spin on it that I hadn't really seen before. And I had this idea of a clown terrorizing a woman on a city bus in the middle of the night. It was just that. That was that was the the idea right there. That was the seed. Um, and I said, you know, I'll just start the short film with this, with this character. So this clown comes, abducts this woman, and then he sort of, uh, he drugs her, and then she wakes up in the hands of this demonic cult. And that was it. And that was Art the Clown. And he was out of the short. He's in it for like five minutes. So I showed people, and everyone's like, it's very cool. The demons look really cool and blah, blah, blah. But that clown looks, is insane. Like, he's, he, there's something. You really have something there with that clown. I, I'd love to see more. And everybody across the board that I showed that short film just kept saying that. So I was, I said, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I definitely think he's cool. So let's, uh, let's explore it a little more. And that's when I made the short film Terrifier. And that's when I decided to turn him into a slasher. Um, and it started that, that was really, that's when he really started to develop and become the art, the clown that we know now. 
that oh. we got in the movie. Uh, now, the first thing I noticed when I started watching the movie, the 2016 movie, is that you intentionally, I assume it's intentionally, shot it in uh, uh, the type of uh, film that is meant to mimic... 19, the best way I can describe it is 1980s B-movies. Yes. I'm assuming uh, you did that intentionally. It is, yeah, yeah. We intentionally did that in post-production with the color and putting... I don't think... We didn't put any grain on it. I actually did that for the short film. Like, we went really grindhouse heavy with the short film. I put all the scratches and everything. But that's become so gimmicky. But I love the look of older horror films. Not just horror films, older films from the early 70s to the early 80s, that beautiful film stock yeah. that you really can't get anymore. I mean, everybody tries to manipulate the digital footage to get that. And I still love it. And we're actually trying to do that again with the sequel, but keep it a little more polished. I mean, the sequel definitely looks better. I'm sure we'll get into that later. But, uh, but it was definitely done on purpose because I love the way retro films look. Well, I, it was done great because uh, I remember watching it. I had to stop it at least twice and go back and check the date and make sure it's a modern day film. <laughs> oh, that's because, cool. Because it was done like literally it, made, it took me back to that 80s era of what they used, to, you know, the B horror movies. And but it fit uh, so perfectly with the storytelling of art and that whole scenario. Now, in the movie has to be in my opinion the most horrific kill scene in any horror movie. And that is when, you know, the woman is sliced in half with a hacksaw. Uh, I had an idea idea you were talking about that one. (laughs) By far, I mean, I have seen a lot of horror. By far, the most horrific kill. It made me cringe. And I don't really cringe at slasher movies. It made me cringe. How did you come up with that idea? Thank you, man. Well, same. I, uh, you know. Just like you, grew up loving these movies. You have no idea. I mean, since I'm a little kid, just watching everything you could imagine. And movies I probably should have been watching, definitely should have been watching at that that age. Um, so I really have an affinity for those types of films. Um, and it's like when you get to this point, what haven't you seen? Like what could I do that's going to stand out from the thousands of films that have come before mine? So I started doing some research of medieval torture methods and uh, I came across this method. I don't know whether it's real or not, if it's just legendary. Uh, but uh, supposedly there was, uh, I, think it was a, I think it was a kill, honestly, by the church uh, where they would hang people upside down, mm-hmm. just like in the film. Uh, and they would saw them in half. And supposedly, because you're upside down and all the blood's draining, that they could, you were actually alive for a while because you weren't hitting any major arteries. This is, this is what they say. Um, I mean, it's done a little differently. It's very fantastic in the film. Obviously, you cannot saw somebody like that. But, I mean, the way they did it in reality was this giant saw that you would use, like, two people on each end to, like, cut logs in half or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely horrifying. And I said, I've never I've never seen that in a film before. So if I could re- recreate that somehow, <laughs> I think that would, that would be a showstopper. And we knew that everybody who read the script, as soon as they got to that scene, it was like, wow, that this is going to be the scene that if we pull it off, everybody's going to talk about it. Exactly. So. Exactly. Now, uh, according to IMDb, you did not uh, have that big of a role in the makeup and special effects department for the 2016 movie. Is that true? 
That is couldn't be more false. I did all of it. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought because I mean you are a big makeup uh, special effects guy. Now when they that how did long did it take to shoot that sequence and how much of it was there and how much of it was CGI? Uh, we we use practically zero CGI. There's maybe there's maybe six or seven little scenes where I did a little visual effects enhancement mm -hmm. that it's so subtle you wouldn't even know we're doing it. Um, I would to shoot it. I, I think it only took us two days to shoot. Uh, so one day with Catherine, who is a I mean our MVP. I mean what you see happening to her, we basically did. There's no camera trickery. We really hung her up by her ankles. She's hanging upside down, suffering, you know, blood running up her nose and whatnot. So she was the only reason why that scene really exists the way it does. Um, I'm sorry. What was uh, I went? Well, I just I just got to pay her. Just how how difficult was that sequence to shoot? And you said it took two days. Yeah, right. So her her stuff was very difficult just because it was so intense. Um, so we had to be really efficient. Just get her out of there. We can only film with her upside down for a little amount of time. And then the second day was all the inserts with the fake body parts and just the special effects and whatnot. So that was easier and that was fun because there was really no stress there. Um, so, so shooting, it was quick, uh, pretty much. It was the prep that took a long time. Building, yeah. casting, building those body parts took probably a, a month to, to get ready. Wow, um, wow. And I have to say, I, I did all the special effects, but my producer, Phil Falcone, Who's the only reason why these movies people have seen these movies because he's the only person who ever believed in me to give me the money to make them and he's been with me he's my partner he's been with me every step of the way now especially with part two it's he's a he's a godsend he has no special effects background whatsoever but he was like this is so cool he's like if uh, we do this i want to just hang out i want to help you i want to learn and he was there with me every step of the way helping me create all the effects. Uh, and I, you know, I was teaching him whatever I can. He's got really, he's gotten really good at a lot of it. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is great. So I did design it all and, and you know, but, and apply it all, but he was, re he's really always there every step of the way with me. Now, special effects makeup in particular, uh, is sort of becoming a lost art and it's amazing that people like you are still practicing it. Who would you say was some of your inspirations, like the Savinis, yeah. maybe the Bakers? All of them, all of them. But it really is Tom Savini. Savini's the reason why I am sitting here right now. Because when I was a kid and I discovered his VHS tape called Screen Greats, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I was very young. I was probably seven years old or something. And it uh, blew my mind. And I was already so big into horror films. And I... I, I idolized the characters like Jason as if they were Superman for real. Like they were my they were my heroes. And when I saw somebody was responsible for creating them, um, just like a switch went off, and I, I was just really blew my mind. And uh, at the, from that moment on, I was just obsessed with special effects. So since I'm a little kid, by the time I was 12, I started taking it very seriously, and I got my first makeup kit. I actually met Savini at a at a convention when I was 12. Um, I bought one of the, uh, somebody else just happened to be selling real machetes at a booth. They were dull. They had the Tom Savini semicircle cut out. Yeah. So getting all these goodies and I went home and I was just practicing on my friends and, you know, putting the machete in their throat with blood. And it was, it was such a fun time, such a fun time. Um, so, and I've never stopped. So it all started with the special effects. And then I gradually got interested in directing and just being in charge of the whole 
the whole project. But it, it, my first love was special effects. Okay, that's awesome. I, like I said, it's great that people like you are still keeping the art of special effects and makeup alive. So thank you for that. Now, um, when it comes to art, uh, how long did it take you to finalize his very scary, freaky look with the long bent nose, the yeah. uh, the teeth, everything. He's right there behind you. I could see the cast right yeah. behind you. How long did it take to finalize that, the, what I would call probably the scariest clown we've seen on TV? Oh, wow. Thank you, man. Um, well, it didn't take long. I think it started with when I made that first short film where he's in it a little bit. Um, I think it started with his costume that I actually found on eBay. Somebody, this was like an actual one-off, like custom costume. Who knows? It was probably very old. Um, and I, I, I bought. I was like, it's like that's it. And I, and I bought it. And then I just started basing his makeup scheme and everything around that costume. And I knew I wanted his face to be kind of comic book Joker esque. Mm -hmm. So, but when I first made him up. Uh, and I first sculpted the appliance, it was much more subtle if you see that short film, The Ninth Circle. Uh, the features are nowhere near as sharp and yeah. defined. And then by the time we got to the Terrifier short film, I said, I really want to make him more gaunt and zombie-like. So we g I gave him the hollow sort of, you know, the bones around his eyes and like the, the pockets. And we br brought his nose out, brought his chin out and everything like that to really give him that devil joker look. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and, yeah. Now, the clown himself, okay, very twisted, psychopath uh, personality who likes to play games with his victims, make jokes, make them smile. How did you now, as a writer, uh, achieve that balance in, in art, in the clown? Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, we're still trying to balance it out i think once once we once i hired dave to play art the clown we started injecting more humor into it that wasn't originally there and that's one of the things where i'm very always conscious of and trying not to go too far into the funny uh aspect of the character uh it's cool every once in a while but I, it's always important for us to bring him back and make sure he's always first and foremost horrifying scary violent uh but that playful nature always came with the original idea I had, which was him tormenting that woman on the bus because it started playful. And it always started with that idea of him just honking his horn at her. And then he's like giving her a flower and just like the way he's just staring at her. So it just starts with this severe discomfort and then it just gradually gets more and more sinister and physical until he turns into the sadistic killer. Um, so, you know, and as you see, the audience respond to these things you can see what's working what's not and there's a cool feeling you get with that uncomfortable laughter that i like so i like that aspect of art i like people laughing with him at him having fun with him until they're not laughing anymore and i love seeing that transition it's, yeah. it's very it's very rewarding um but it's one of the reasons why freddie works so well i was actually talking to dave arthur clown the other day about this and saying you know how because we were talking about the original Child's Play, and I was talking about how similar Chucky, you know, especially in the first of each franchise, how similar Chucky and Freddy are, how they're equally sinister, but they have this great sense of humor mm -hmm. that people relate to. And we were just talking about how, you know, Art, Art was probably, was one of the first characters who kind of 
got their personality but didn't speak. Um, yeah. The last thing left to do, like the combination, you know. Um, but that's it. It's really reading the audience. I'm a big fan of um, just reading comments, every, everything people say. I, I love getting a consensus. I love seeing what's working, what's not. You know, I, I have no problem with any kind of criticism or anything. I always want to be better. And I want to keep giving people what they seem to enjoy the most. Yeah. Now, yeah. we got to give props to the actor, David Thornton, who yeah. portrays yeah. art. Uh, wonderful. Not wonderful. a single word of dialogue. And you don't need it. Uh, you don't need it with Arthur Clown. Uh, did you have any role? I'm assuming you had a major role in casting David. Oh yeah, it was just me and uh, and Phil. We were there in the cat in the for the casting calls in the room. So how long? Walk us through that process. How long did it take you to find your vision of what Art the Clown should be on the screen? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Dave is not the first Art the Clown. No, I, uh... Yeah. So the first Art the Clown was my blind childhood friend Mike Mike Gianelli who's not an actor, but when I was starting out and making these videos and practicing on my friends with special effects gags and just filming, you know, gunshots on the side of my house, I would grab Mike and hook a blood pump up to him. Yeah, and he was always cool with that. And then when I had this short, I'm like, I got this clown character. I know you're not an actor. I'm like, he doesn't have to talk. You really just got to sit there, smile. You know, it's just like by the numbers. I just need, I need to put this mask on somebody. He said, sure, I'll do it. And just like that, he became Art the Clown. You know, before you know it, we're going into another short film, and then we have Terrifier the feature coming. And he, at that point, he was like, "Look, I'm just not not an actor. You know, I'm not into it. I can't really go through all this makeup and all this time and whatnot." So that really sucked, and that was scary because now I had to start from scratch. I'm sure he's kicking himself though. <laughs> very happy with where he is uh, he's got a new baby you know wife he's very happy so okay cool cool yeah, he's doing he's doing well but um but yeah when, when it came to um so we had to replace him and that was really scary because mike worked you know everybody who watched the the short the both short films you know art the clown was always the thing that was there were no complaints it was like he's he's working man we just want to see more and now it's like shit i gotta i gotta replace him and start from scratch this is scary so we, we had the casting call, Phil and I, we went to the city, we rented a room, had the actors coming in. And the only thing that I knew now starting from scratch that I wanted that Mike couldn't give me was the physicality. I wanted someone skinnier and a little taller because I always pictured that to be creepier, you mm -hmm. know, skinny, you know. And uh, so that's what I was looking for. And I figured, look, um, if, if I have the physicality, you pretty much have – the character because the makeup, the costume, you know, is, it, it all, it all does a lot of the work. So I saw just looking for that physicality. And as soon as Dave, Dave was probably the fourth person to come in, walked in the room physically immediately. I go, this guy looks great. And he smiled. And I'm like, that smile is fantastic too. I'm like, okay, good start. Now I tell Dave, you know, he's like, what do I do? I don't have sides. I don't have a script. I was like, don't worry about it. I was like, this character doesn't speak. I said, pretend that you're cutting somebody's head off and you're having a really good time. <laughs> I think that's what I said. And he was like, okay. And he goes into this whole shtick of, uh, you could see the video. We posted it. It's somewhere on Facebook and whatnot of the audition. And he just starts hacking away at this head and he's picking it up and he's uh, pouring salt on it and tasting the blood. And then he skips out of the room doing his Joker trot and all this stuff. And, you know, me and Phil are kind of like nudging each other and laughing and just having a good time watching them. And 
you know, no, a few other people came in after that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, that guy was, I mean, if we put the mask on him and he looks good, I don't know what else we're looking for. Uh, I, I think, I think that's the guy. So immediately I told Dave, like the, you know, five days later or something, come down to Staten Island, I'll put the prosthetic on you and then we'll do like another makeup test and spent a whole day with him hanging out. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're hanging out for hours. The other day he's about to go home. He's like, wait, so do I, do I have the role? And I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> now in the movie, there's a certain scene where he takes off the clown outfit and he's wearing that skin suit. Okay. Yeah. I got to ask you, because at that point we're all wondering, is this really the same art, the clown? And for a split second there, I'm like, is this a woman? Could this possibly be a woman? Now, when you did that scene and you put the skin suit down to basically the whole upper half of his body, did you want to kind of throw the audience off and have them questioning, uh, is this really Art the Clown that we know or no? No, but um, yes and no. Uh, I'll tell you what, what happened. Originally, I wrote that. And he was supposed to wear the body parts on top of his costume. Okay. Because taking the character, again, it's one of the things I like to do is take chances with the character and do things that you don't normally see with these types of slashers. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I do like taking those chances. So I, I remember talking to Dave like the few nights, before, it could have been longer, but it was a little bit before we started shooting it. And I said, you know, Dave, this scene's coming up. I said, I don't think it's going to be as effective if you have these body parts on over your costume. I said, you know, he, he's gone this far and he's so demented. He's going he's gonna to wear them over his naked body. He's going to be naked. And I said, if you're naked, they're bloody, your body's bloody, you're, you're going to like transform into a woman and it's going to be really effective. You know, you just, this is this image with the wig and everything. I said, I know it's going to be really creepy and really, really disturbing. And, you know, because now I'm asking Dave, is he willing to get naked? I mean, this is a guy, this is his first movie, and that's a big deal. Um, and without, like, missing a beat, he's like, yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. He's like, I agree. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be crazy. Let's let's go for it. Um, so we did it. And that was by far the most uncomfortable day <laughs> on the set of that movie. Um, and I think it was the first day that Dave met Samantha, who plays Victoria. Yeah. Um, first day they worked together. And it's like, everyone's like, what the hell are we making? I mean, this was before, you know, now Terrifier is Terrifier. Then it's like, what the hell are we making? You know? <laughs> so, so that was interesting. But I knew it was going to be disturbing as hell. I knew it was going to. Oh, it was just... very creepy. Very creepy. Now, did you get any, what kind of pushback did you get from the, uh, the MPAA, the ratings people? None, because we didn't have to um, we didn't have to submit it to them, because unless you're really going into the movie theaters or something, you don't have to present it to them. But there were some distributors who had issues with it and uh, they wanted the they wanted the ability to cut things um, if they had to. So mm. when we were first shopping the movie around, I was like, this is a this is a deal breaker. The the effects are a star of the film in and of themselves yeah. you, you cut that out you lose a major piece of what makes that movie what it is i mean yeah. that movie was not riding on the plot <laughs> you know it's riding on art the clown and the kills exactly. and we knew we knew that going in this was going to be a showcase for art the clown as a as a villain you know yeah. yeah now how important uh because the movie does happen on halloween uh is 
is it just a you know an homage to Halloween the the movie? Why Halloween? Why is Halloween so important for you in the story? It's it's not just an homage to Halloween. It's it's because it gives it gives him an excuse to be anywhere dressed like that. And I like characters. I like the the protagonists to have their guard down a little bit and give him time to work you know, work the intensity on them and, and, and get them more and more nervous. Because if it's, if it's July and you walk into a pizzeria, you know, and there's, there's a clown sitting there right off the bat, that's friggin' crazy, you know, but if it's, if it's Halloween, you're like, Oh, it's just some guy in a costume. You know, that's cool. No problem. Uh, so I like that. I like, especially in part two. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's walking around populated places a lot more and that wouldn't work if it wasn't Halloween. There would just be too many, too many eyes on him. Too, too many. You know, it would be too suspect. So, so that was the reason. So Arthur Clown only comes out on Halloween night, like Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. It has, it has um, evolved that way. Okay. Now that that's very cool. Now, um, let's see. I mean, uh, when it comes to the whole backstory of art. Uh, going into Terrifier 2, which I know is currently in production, uh, what are your plans? Do you plan at any point to give the audience a backstory to art, or do you just want to keep that to the viewer's imagination? Yeah, I can't really say. It's something that we're um, I'm always toying with. Uh-huh. I, I personally like the the ambiguity and the mystique a lot more than mm-hmm. giving people the, given the backstory. So I always say, once you pull the curtain back and you see the wizard, it's, it's over and there's not, there's nothing left. And usually people's, their anticipation, the story they're making up in their mind, you're never going to live up to their expectations. Exactly. You know, but at the same time, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop out. And as a writer, I should have some sort of responsibility to give you something. I don't, I don't want to leave you totally in the dark. So what I've started doing is giving you clues because I always know what he is at whatever, whatever point in time I'm at. It's like, I, if you ask me right now, if somebody put a gun to my head and it's like, what is Art the Clown? Where is he coming from? I could tell you what I'm thinking right now. But by next week, you know, I, I'm always thinking of better ideas and something crazier and something different. So it's always evolving. So until you see it in the movie, you know, it's not set in stone yet. Okay, gotcha. Now, starting with the Ninth Circle, when uh, did it become like it's going to happen where Terrifier was going to go from a short into a full feature length film? As soon as we made Terrifier, the goal was to make Terrifier um, and show the shop that short film around to get money to make a feature. Okay. And we could never do it. I couldn't even get the um, I couldn't even get the producer who made All Hallows Eve to give me the money after All Hallows Eve came out, because at the time he said nobody clowns will never sell a horror movie, <laughs> and, and I remember telling him. You know, there's rumors at this point. I said, look, there's supposedly they're remaking Stephen King's It. And they had just announced that Rob Zombie was making 31. I said, all these clown movies are going to come out. I said, trust me, clowns are going to be huge. And, you know, he's. Aren't the clown compared to Pennywise? It makes Pennywise look like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. That's cool. Um, 
So let's but, talk about the writing, the writing aspect. Uh, tell us how you got started as a writer. You told us about the special effects. Uh, how long have you been writing? Um, what was the first thing? First thing I wrote. Again, I guess the first official thing I wrote. I've always been writing little stories as a kid. I was always very creative, drawing, uh, creating, writing stories. But I guess it all started with the Ninth Circle. Um, and making sure, making like, ever since I, the time I was 12 and I started um, experimenting with the effects, my friend's father had an old JVC camcorder. Well, now it's old, but he had a JVC camcorder and he would let us use it and we would always go around. Like I live, I was like the kid in American Beauty. Like it, it lived here. I always had the camcorder. I walked around everywhere I went. I filmed everything. And I would just force my friends, no matter where we went, to film movies and do something. Um, and that, that was like my film school. And I just, so I lived with that. If, I, if my friends weren't around, I would film my action figures and I would do stop motion, whatever I could do. And I was constantly just watching movies and studying cuts and then trying to, and I would in-camera edit because this was way before I had any access to uh, editing. So this was like before people were even editing on computers. I so I was in-camera editing and doing, you know, teaching myself how to do jump cuts and what looked cool and you know, fast zooms like Martin Scorsese, whip pans and all these kind of weird things. So it was all one and the same. I mean, I was pretty much doing everything all at once, you know, just uh, filming and writing and then just all building to the first short film. Um, but I must say writing is by far the hardest part. Yeah. The that, hardest that's, part. that's the heart. Yeah. It's everything. And it's, nothing it's the only time you sit down unless you're writing with someone else but i don't so you're you know they always say you're just facing it's just you and the blank page there's nothing scarier i mean you have to create everything from scratch exactly very very difficult to do by by far and it, you know it was um out of, out of all the things that i do it's probably the weakest i'm the weakest at writing i feel like i've gotten a lot better i think people will see that when they see part two but uh, it's a very, very difficult craft to to develop. Uh, so I have the highest respect for for writers. It's such an amazing art form. It really is. Now I have spoken to quite a few writers, directors, and for me, my I, I'm not a director. I'm not a writer. I'm not an actor. But I would think you, who created the story on paper, to see it through the filming process has to be rewarding because you have the total creative control. Is that how you feel? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very rewarding. Um, at the same time, <clears throat> you're never, you're never uh, fully satisfied with anything you make because really, really you're looking at all the flaws and you're always, you're always growing and evolving as an artist. So by the time you get to the end, you feel like you could have done so many things better. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it is very rewarding, and it is amazing that I don't have really anybody breathing down my neck or looking over my shoulder and be like, "You can't do this. Why are you doing that?" Um, so that's amazing, and that's that's a privilege. Uh, you know, albeit these are low budget films that I'm making, but still, I get to make I get to make my vision. That's pretty pretty amazing. It, it is. It is pretty amazing. Now, uh, growing up and into your early filming, you said you've been having a camera since your very young years, uh, what would you say, uh, filmmaking-wise, directors and, so, and whatnot, were your biggest influences? Uh, easily the two, well, okay. 
this is, I got to be careful here because I love <laughs> so many filmmakers, always idolized a, a, a billion of them, like from Spielberg, like you name it, John Carpenter, George Romero. But when I really started taking filmmaking seriously, the two filmmakers that heavily influenced me as a director was Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. and Martin Scorsese. So Martin Scorsese was the first filmmaker where I noticed his style. Like I noticed that a filmmaker had a very strong identifiable style, like a trademark. You could see his camera tricks and his moves throughout all of his movies. He would repeat the same things. Um, so that was cool. I noticed that he was in essence a, like starring in his movies to a degree um, through the camera. So I thought that was really awesome. Uh, so it was really those two, especially because when I started taking this seriously, it was around 1994, 95, and that's when Pulp Fiction came out. Mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction, as you remember, just changed the world. Every every writer and filmmaker on the planet wanted to be Quentin Tarantino. They still do. Yeah, so uh, that was he was everything. He was everything. Yeah, Tarantino is a filmmaker who is not afraid to take risks, kind of like yourself. Yeah. You yeah. know, even if he has a dozen people in his ear telling them that it's not going to work, he's going to go for it. You know, if he feels like in his gut it's going to work, he's going to do it. And it's, it's going to be his. It's going to be Tarantino's. His signature is going to be all over it for better or worse. Always better. But I mean, it's it's undeniably Quentin Tarantino. Now, I know you can't say much, but what aspect of Terrifier 2 are you most excited for fans to see? I'd be as vague as you possibly can. I know you can't say much. No, I don't have to be vague at all. This is the easiest question to answer. It's Lauren Lavera's portrayal as the our heroine, Sienna. Okay. By, by far. Um, it's my favorite character that I've ever written. And what she did with this role is just extraordinary. Like this is my, this is my Ripley, my you know the bride. If we're going to talk about Tarantino, like she's such a such an astonishing character, and she brought so much to this role. And I've been saying this in like every interview. I've worked with so many amazing actresses, but like she, no one has ever cared for a character that I wrote more than myself. Like as much as she loves this character, she would just call me all the time and text me and she would write journals of what she thought Sienna was and what's, you know, all these beautiful background details that for me didn't really make a difference, but to her, you know, is beautiful and it's just making the character so much richer. Um, and it's a very, very layered performance. Like, we talk, like this time around, I really, really took the time to develop the characters. This is a very character driven movie. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, but I, having said that, it doesn't take away from I made sure that we kept all of the elements that people loved from the first Terrifier, ramped them up to to a hundred. I mean, it's all it's all in there and crazier. Um, it's still Art the Clown's movie. He's in the entire thing, um, and he's crazier and more sadistic than ever. But but this time we really do follow the protagonist. It's it's her it's her story. It's, whereas in the first Terrifier, you're basically Art the Clown is the star. I mean, he's yeah. pretty. Um, but this is very much Sienna, Sienna's story and about Art the Clown working his way into her reality and why, um, which you guys will find out. <laughs> now, what I loved about the uh, another aspect that I loved about the first movie is the little switcheroo in who's going to be the last person standing. Now, yes. we thought it was going to be um, the 
the brunette Tara, or what's Tara? Yes. Tara. Yep. And her mm-hmm. sister's name was Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Now, so, I thought, to, as I was watching half, even through the movie, that it was going to be Tara who was going to be the last girl standing. I thought Victoria would come in into this unknown situation in that warehouse and get killed. I like right. that little switcheroo that you did, and it turned out to be Victoria who right. ended up being the survivor. Uh, when did that, you know, is that how you always wanted it to play out, or was it sort of like a last-minute writing change that you did no that was always the way it was i i wanted to i always loved the i mean clearly that is uh, inspired by the janet lee the janet lee psycho is mm-hmm. the penultimate example of you know killing off killing off the main character like you know 40 minutes into the movie um so it wasn't just that i wanted to do that but like i said this is really it's at that point in the movie you realize Art the Clown is the star and not the protagonist. Yeah. So I, I knew this was going to be his showcase. So I, I thought it was a great, great way to do it. And not only that, just to – it tells you so much about his character. One of the things that I wanted to do was make the audience never feel safe around him. And to know that no character, no matter if you if they're the star or whatnot, is ever safe around Art the Clown. Like he he will take out the main character. Yeah. And that thing we continue, you know, that's an important element and we continue with that motif. Uh, so you're never you're never safe around art. So now tell us uh a little bit about that homeless lady uh, who was living in the warehouse. Yeah, uh, you know. She obviously has some mental issues, uh, probably schizophrenia, if we're left to assume as viewers. But she seems to know about art, and art seems to know about her, uh, and they knew of each other. What is her story in relationship to art? Can you share that with us? Um, I honestly... Yes. Like at this point, like I love that the movie is what it is and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to project theories that aren't in the film that maybe it is to me, it's something, but it might be something else to everybody else. I mean, if it's not there, it's not there. Um, So it's open to your interpretation. Um, But I could tell you when I was writing it, she was just this crazy woman living in the building because you know, honestly, I needed more victims to get into this building. So instead of just having people just knocking on the door, coming in and this and that, I figured we could have someone who's already a squatter in this in this building. Um, so that was really it. I mean, and everybody talks about the scene where she finally confronts Art and she's sitting down. He has her baby doll. And a lot of people believe there is some kind of connection there. Um you know, when I wrote that, it was really there. There is no connection. It's art is just toying, toying with her. Um, yeah, I mean, really toying with the audience. Just, just getting the audience to be like, wow, is she really reaching him? Like, what is happening here? For um, me, that's what sealed the deal. That art was just an absolute <laughs> lunatic psychopath. No, no way of showing remorse, feelings, because right. he didn't spare her. Didn't spare her. I mean, worse. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah, when you find out what he did to her, it's it's, it's insane. It's insanely grotesque. It uh, is. Disturbing. It is. So now, it's like- now, in a 2019 interview, David uh, Thornton, who plays Art with Bloody Disgusting, said that you 
were already having a third movie in your mind uh, before the second one even started production. Is that true? Uh, he talks way too much, this guy. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I, um, I said this before that I want to, I want, if anything, I want to have a nice solid trilogy uh, because there's, I, there's always more to say. I definitely have a lot of ideas with Art the Clown. Um, but I don't want to get to that point where we really jump the shark and we're just running out of ideas and the well is dry and we're just making these movies to make these movies. Um, as much as I love all the franchises and I love part sevens of, of series, um, it's just not something right now that I want to do. It doesn't mean I won't do it you know, 10 years from now or whatnot. But, but so right now, if we do make another one, and I must say that we could stop at Terrifier 2. Terrifier 2 does have a pretty, you know, pretty solid ending where if the series did end there, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty good. But, um, yeah, I could see us making a third one. Let me just, let me say that. Now, is yeah. Terrifier 2 having a theatrical release whenever it does come out or is it going straight to video on demand? Um, it's a little too early to say, um, personally, I, I mean, I would love for it to be in theaters. I mean, we need to. You know, even if it's just me getting it into some screen, having screenings, like I need to see this movie with an audience because yeah. this is going to be, it's that kind of movie. I just know it's going to be cheers and screams and all kinds of just beautiful, audible <laughs> things going on that I love. I love experiencing. This is totally an audience movie. So I'm definitely going to get it into theaters somehow. There's okay. going to be, it's going to be screenings, but you know, again, this isn't, you know, everything has changed so drastically now. And honestly, unless you're in the, the elite 1% of Hollywood, you're, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get a major theatrical release anymore. Okay. Uh, so I'm totally cool with that. I really wish that it would just pop up on after a few screenings or whatnot. I, I, I wish it would just pop up on Netflix for everybody to see. That would be incredible. But you know, we didn't quite get there yet. Um, we have to, we have to show it to, um, uh, our distribution company from part one, Epic Pictures first, um, which we're trying to schedule that very soon. We're going to show them a pretty presentable rough cut, which we're very close to having. So so that's going to get the ball rolling with distribution. Okay. Now, I would say even though art has been on the screen for us in one way or another for 10 years now, I would still say it's in its infancy when it comes to the whole franchise, quote unquote. Uh do you own the rights to Art the Clown, the character, or is that now in the hands of your production company distributor? No, I still own the rights. So it's my my company, uh, mine and Phil, Dark Age Cinema, owns the rights to, to Art. Okay, so that, that leads me to a next question. Uh, Art the Clown seems like your baby. That's, that's like, you know, your vision created. Uh, let's say a major studio, part two is a huge success uh art the clown is really growing to you know become this big horror icon and a big studio comes up to you makes you a great money deal offer could you see yourself parting mm -hmm. with the rights to art that's a hard question it is a hard question um it, it would depend on so many things honestly like right now my gut would say no that's what i'm that's what i'm saying inside right now but um it really it really depends it really depends do you see um, it as your baby absolutely absolutely um 
very very protective of the character um lived with him for so long for so long and he's really he's like an extension of everything that i grew up loving since i'm a since i'm a child really because i really have been watching slasher films since i'm like four probably maybe earlier um all of them and they were my they were my heroes so art the clown is like every little piece that worked on me and I was just taking little bits from Michael Myers, Freddie, Jason, Leatherface, all these little pieces and just kind of just molding them into art, putting my own little spin on it. And that's that's art. So very close, very protective of the character. Let me share this with you. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, I attended the Carolina, Carolina Fear Fest convention and they had a whole cosplay event. And one of the best costumes that was there that I saw was somebody in the full getup of Art the Clown. Really? Uh, it was, uh, that's how big and popular this character is becoming. So how does it make you feel that the horror uh, icons that you saw growing up, you are in the middle of creating one yourself? Because like I said, I still think it's in, it's in its infancy uh, that you could be the creator of the next big horror icon in Art the Clown. How does that make you feel, man? It's a uh, very surreal, man. It's a uh, it's a dream come true. It doesn't it doesn't really sink in. It really doesn't. It's it's so crazy. I mean, every every week I'll see a tattoo pop up. Like the tattoos might blow my mind more than anything at this point because that's it. people just getting that permanently that's onto their permanent, bodies. Yeah, um, it's 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 amazing. I'll tell you this, I don't, I don't take any of that for granted at, at all. And that and that's one of the reasons why we put so much into the sequel, because we know how much people love this character. Like at some point, I feel like it's not even mine anymore. I feel yeah. like it's the fan. So it's like now I'm trying desperately not to just not to screw it up. Um, so taking so much time, again, taking taking a lot of risks, which has the potential to make the character even greater. Um, I really think that I really think that part two is gonna bring him up to another level. I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, and I'm sure I'm very clouded. Especially, I've been living with this movie, nothing but Terrifier two, for like three years now. Um, but we really, everybody, all I can say for a fact is that I couldn't be prouder of the work we did, the people I surrounded myself with. You know. I, when when the smoke clears years down the line and people find out really what it took to make this movie and what it looks like and what's in it compared to the budget that we had and and what people did i mean people people put in work that you know it would it would like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work like if they if they were getting paid like for years working on this movie but not making a fraction of that just because just because of the love they had the respect they had for me for the movie I mean, it's really, really a beautiful experience. But you're going to see it all. You're going to see all that work on the screen. It is, it is such a bigger movie, and I really think it's, it's. I really think it's sort of a game changer. This is like a slasher you have not seen. This is like a if you saw a modern version of what like a Nightmare on Elm Street three must have been like when it when it came out. This okay. is like you don't, you don't you don't get this kind of slasher movie anymore. So wow. like imagine. Yeah, imagine like that mixed with Terrifier, boiled up into some. It's it's definitely something you have not seen before. 
Um, it's gonna ha- it's gonna have a tone and an atmosphere that is very original. I I assure you. I can't so. wait. I can't wait. I honestly can't wait. Now this has already achieved uh, a level of success that a lot of independent horror movies wish to have, and that is to get to a sequel. You've achieved that. Okay, you're working on the sequel and possibly more. You mentioned earlier that at some point you feel like the character is not even yours. It belongs to the fans. This franchise, Art the Clown, already has a dedicated following. That following is going to continue to grow. And you talked about the responsibility that that puts on you to give its followers what they want. Mm -hmm. Now, does that responsibility uh, sort of crossover into hindering your writing because you start self-questioning your ideas for art the clown because there has been so much weight and responsibility put on you to give the fans what they want yeah that's a great question at the end of the day this is tricky because really at the end of the day it's like you have to as a filmmaker you have to make the movie for almost for you first. Like you have to be happy with it. And, and you know, at the end of the day, I, I didn't just set out to make a movie, just like check in boxes and be like, Oh, I think they'll like this. I think they'll like that. I think like, like it came from me. It came from me as a, as a fan and what I thought would be cool and what I thought would be fresh and unique, but also very familiar to what we grew up loving, but we sort of kind of lost or the, the genre sort of started going in a different direction. Yeah. You know, and now I feel like it's not even close to that anymore. Like it's even further away. Um, so, you know, I, I like to believe that, you know, whether you have problems or not, there's things you wish were different. It is because you're you're sort of digging my imagination at some point. So it's like I want to keep giving you, you know, my creativity, but I'm very conscious to, to of listening to the fans and seeing what's working or what's not working. Okay. Um, could be improved upon like the i knew this when i made the first one because there is no basically no plot it's just like a situation terrifier one um so i knew that everybody wanted better characters and a better plot i mean that was like unanimous across the board so writing it i made sure that i used every bit of my power my skill set to give you better characters and a better plot so you're definitely going to have that in this one um I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. But like I said, I, I read every comment. I see everything. If something – I don't believe that just negative comments are people being trolls. If you see the same negative comment over and over and over, you need to pay attention to that. You need to listen to that. You yeah. know, you got, you got to take criticism. You know, you can always be better. Um, and fans, fans aren't just looking to attack – some of them are. There's always trolls. But a lot of fans are looking just for a better product. They want to see how could this be better. I do it myself. Like I watch movies and big Hollywood movies and I can't help but write sometimes. I'm like, oh, I, I, they messed up here. I really wish they did this. It would have been so much better. Mm-hmm. Look how much better you know, a similar movie, like a similar classic did this so much better. They should have followed that route. You know? So I do, I do the same thing. So again, I'm just a fan who happens to be making these movies. So I, I totally understand. I totally understand. Now that uh... – terrifier arthur clown has given you like for lack of a better term hollywood cred right you've got hollywood credibility now are there i I do think so absolutely now i you say it it's official it is it is official do you have any other uh in in the form of writing scripts other ideas that you want to pitch to studios yeah i have i have one my dream project is a 
which is going to be really hard for multiple reasons, but is a dream project George Romero-esque zombie movie, which now sounds like the most cliche, ridiculous thing. Everybody, everything is zombies. Everybody wants to make zombies. But when's the last time you saw something that was so close to the original Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead? It's been a a while. Yeah, it's been a a while. So I feel like I could, I can't say I could, I would desperately try to capture that essence. I mean, I have a script for it. It's friggin' huge. It's, it's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing, epic script. Um, it would cost millions, millions of dollars, I'm sure. So this is like a big Hollywood. Somebody would have to come in and give me tons of money. Um, and I want Sylvester Stallone to be the star of that. So <laughs> good luck. Good luck there. But that's my dream project. Now, uh, let, let's talk a little, we only have a few minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about horror in general. For you, what movie was rebooted to your satisfaction in the horror genre? Like Dawn of the Dead 2004? Or yeah. what other movie that was redone that you thought, you know what? They did this pretty damn well. You know which one out of all the reboots that I liked the best was The Hills Have Eyes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. And I love the original Hills Have Eyes. I've actually been watching the original Hills Have Eyes a lot more frequently um, recently, and I love it. I love it so much more. But yeah, when that came out, because as much as people love the new Dawn of the Dead and the the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not new, I mean, now they're old, but like yeah. the first reboots, um, I liked them, but they were very... Uh, to me they still didn't even couldn't even hold a candle to the to the originals i mean especially like texas chainsaw mask it was Mm -hmm. cool but it was very very like hollywood very polished very clean and just like everybody looks beautiful and uh just not not feeling that um as much but not a big fan of reboots at all i like evil dead reboot as well the evil dead oh that was great that was pretty that was pretty damn good uh, before we run out of time, I just got to mention, you have behind you a poster of Class of 1984. That is such a great movie. It is such an underrated movie. Uh, I bet you none of our audience has ever even heard of it. Uh, damn, does that bring back memories for me. The school teacher with the punk kids. And uh, to have the poster, I'm assuming that movie had an impact on you huge impact on me man and i discovered that a little later i mean it was i was still very young you know it's funny when i was a kid i would always tape movies off of tv i didn't have cable till like 1997 so i lived in the video store or i would tape movies off of like whatever 11 channels i had um and like back in like the very early 90s maybe like around 1990 91 there was a trailer for that like a commercial like that was coming on tv and they marketed it as a Michael J. Fox like vehicle, like he was the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, but I could never get my hands on it. And then in like 1996, I found it in a video store, and I rented it, and it blew my mind. It has been my favorite, one of my favorite films of all time, and to the point where I have the poster. Like I tell everybody, like it is the ultimate exploit, like an exploitation movie masterpiece, like across the board, it checks every box, everything is done to a T, like perfectly. It was well and, ahead of its time. Well ahead of its time. And you know, Joe Bob Riggs just played this on the last uh, last drive-in, and I lost oh. my mind. He's a huge, huge fan of it. I, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I to gotta bring it up to him. I've seen, I run into him every once in a while at, at cons. I mean, it was, that was cool. Uh, so 
Oh, my executive producer just chimed me and he said, I know you just said you don't like reboots, but he said, why don't you remake it? <laughs> I thought about it. I swear to God. And I thought about doing it with uh, All Girl Gang. Oh, um, that would be a good twist on it. Female teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, man. We are yeah. out of time. I just want to announce to everybody that Damien is going to be at the New Jersey Con uh, and Horror Film Festival September 3rd in Atlantic City at the Showboat. It's going to be a huge, there's a huge guest list. Damien, Art the Clown, David's going to be there too, right? Yeah, uh, the entire cast, like all the principals are going to be there from Terrifier, which is very rare. We're yeah. never yeah. together. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there covering it as well. I look forward nice. to meeting you in person. So if Can anyone get- is interested, want to meet Damien, Art the Clown, it's going to be at Atlantic City, September 3rd, 4th, and 5th at the Showboat, uh, the New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival. So I invite you guys to come check us out. Damien, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure talking to you. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Just don't forget me in September. Dude, I'm going to buy you a drink, man. We'll hang out. <laughs> this has been so much fun, dude. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I'll come back and talk about movies anytime man. oh this this hour just flew by uh thank you so much guys thank you so much for tuning in we are out of time uh stay safe and until tomorrow guys on behalf of damien and myself stay walking good night take care everybody bye man